Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 13. So as they were (laughs) ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said they're fasting, they're trying to elevate the spiritual, intensify the spiritual by putting down the flesh. Have you noticed, think about it this way, the reason you fast is because the flesh is a distraction, you know? You try to pray and your stomach, right? It's time for you to eat. And what you have to say to your flesh is, you can say this as a Christian, shut up. (gasps) Is that a Christian phrase? I think so. Jesus said it to the storm, be quiet. Another way to say it is, shut up. That's not a bad phrase, by the way. If you say it to your flesh, it's good. Because you know what you're saying? You are not going to dictate everything that I do today or this week. I'm pushing you down so I can intensify the spiritual things. And man, is it a test when you decide to get spiritual. Amen? Because your flesh goes, what are you doing? You eat at 10.15 every day. Where's my stuff? And that's when you have to say, quiet. I'm elevating the spiritual today, right? I'm going to seek the Lord. I want him to speak to me. And the Holy Spirit spoke. And he said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Would you notice, Bible students, the Holy Spirit said something. I just want to say as kindly as I can to our Jehovah's Witness friends, The Holy Spirit is not simply just God's active force. He is the third person of the Holy Trinity. He speaks. He calls people into ministry. You remember how we've said in in the book of Acts study that you could call the book of Acts the acts of the Holy Spirit? Here you go. The Holy Spirit spoke and he said, set apart for me, the Holy Spirit is God, third person of the Holy Trinity, the work, and he, he calls out two people, Barnabas and Saul, to the work to which I have called them. In the body, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts according to his will. And then he places you in the body. And Paul uses the body analogy or metaphor. Christ is the head. And we all are different parts. Some of us are ears. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are the mouth. Some of us are the feet. Some of us are the internal organs that are behind the scenes, nobody sees them, they're not out front, but they're even more important because without them, guess what? You're dead. And sometimes people behind the scenes think, well, I'm I'm not that important, I don't preach and teach. No, you are vital to the operation of the body. And all the parts of the body come together to glorify who? The head. You know, when I'm walking, I don't think, I I need to walk now, I I, got to walk. Right, left, right. Now, maybe if you're in some rehab or something, you may have to think that way. But my brain sends a message and my body just does it. Why? Because my head's in control. That's the way the church is. Each of us have a part to play. Some of us are the hand, whatever. But you get the image. We're all following the orders of the head and it brings him glory because we start going where he wants us to go. And when people come on a Sunday morning, they see all of our various gifts in operation. 
They hear a message preached, but they also see your smiling face. They see an usher welcome them, a Sunday school teacher ministering to their child, someone at the donut thing with a smile saying, sorry, we're out of maple bars, but you can have chocolate. Why? Because Pastor Michael took the last maple bar. Anyway, but you get it. And see, the church is on display. Why? Because it is showing forth the glory of him who called us and set us apart. You, brother or sister that are here, if you're a Christian, you are set apart for God. And the word holy means to be set apart. The word saint means to be set apart. Now, we've been in some Bible studies, and I've shared verses with people, especially people with Catholic backgrounds, and I say, you're a saint. And they go, oh, no, 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 no. Saints do special things. They do a miracle. They, I say, you're a saint. I ain't. You're a saint. I ain't. Right? And we get in these debates. The reason you're a saint is not because you're that holy, but because God has called you out of the world and set you apart for his special purpose. That's what makes you holy. Because God has done it. He has called you holy and, and a blameless in the beloved. That's who you are. When you start to recognize that, you can start moving toward what God would have you to do. God first. He's our focus. 2 Corinthians 8.5 says, They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. That's the Macedonians. In Colossians we find, do your work heartily as to the Lord, not to men. When God's your focus, everything else will fall into place. Amen? That's a life of worship. That's what it's about. To be set apart is aphorizo in Greek. It means to be, mark off uh, from others by boundaries, to limit, to separate, In a good sense, it means to appoint or to set apart for some service. You have been set apart for holy service to God. Turn to the next book, Romans chapter 1. Paul identifies himself as the author of the book of Romans. Romans 1 verse 1, and he says these words. Acts, Romans. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, Romans 1 1, called as an apostle, notice, Set apart, what was Paul set apart for? For the gospel of God. In a general sense, every Christian is set apart for the gospel of God. If you're wondering what you ought to be doing, you ought to be showing forth the gospel of God. Keep turning, go to Galatians. So you're going to pass up First and Second Corinthians, go to Galatians chapter 1. Paul's giving his personal testimony here, and he's going to talk about being set apart. This word for set apart, aphorizo, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, was translated for the firstborn being dedicated to God, for the offering of the firstfruits of Israel to God, for the consecration of the Levites in the service of the temple to God. When Mary brought Jesus into the temple, She was obeying the Levitical law and she was presenting her firstborn to God. And God would say to the firstborn before the Levites took that spot, they belong to me. And never was it more true that when Mary presented Jesus in the temple, he belongs to me. Now Mary could not give the offering of a lamb at that time. This is in Luke chapter 2. She gave two turtle doves to, as a, 
a way to bring herself clean before the Lord and as an offering. And what was amazing is she didn't have the money because the Magi didn't come yet, so she offered the two turtle doves, but she already had a lamb. You know who the lamb was? It was her little lamb in her arms. Simeon took him in the temple area and said, now my eyes have seen your salvation. She had a lamb. He would be the lamb of God who would take away her sin and my sin. Amazing. He belongs to me. And so notice what it says here, Galatians 1.15. But when he, Paul is speaking now, when he, God, had set me apart, same word, aphorizo, even from my mother's womb. You're calling, brothers and sisters, since God is omniscient, sovereign, eternal, he called you from the womb or even before you were ever made on this planet. He called you. And he said, he set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to what? Here's what the calling was about, to reveal his son in me. If you want to know what your calling is as a Christian in a general sense, it's that God's son might be revealed through you and in you. Amen. Did that happen to Paul? Paul went all over the Roman world revealing Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. He went telling people, you know what? This is the hope. This is the hope of Israel. This is the hope of the Gentiles. This is the hope for my family. This is the hope for my friend with cancer right now. This is the hope for the world. Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. God is the God of hope. That's why the gospel is intended to be shared. Amen? Not to be kept to ourselves. And so Paul says, he set me apart. And he set me apart to reveal his son in me. Praise God. Let's go back to Acts 13. So notice what happens next. So, so the word comes from the Holy Spirit. We don't know how it came, but we would assume that it came through a prophecy given by one of the prophets. Set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. So then when they had fasted and prayed. Now they were already fasting and praying. Why did they fast and pray some more? Maybe partly because these two guys, you wouldn't want to let go out of your church leadership. The best encourager and the best teacher, probably alive that day, were being called out of the church at Antioch. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a prayer meeting or a service and the Lord's speaks and says that your two best leaders, I'm calling them elsewhere. What would we do? <gasps> oh no. Can we go on? Of course you can. You know why? Because God is sovereign and he puts up leaders and he replaces them. Can you imagine the change from Moses to Joshua? Can you imagine when James died, the way the church had to be reeling? But this is God's universe it's God's church. And he raises us up and he says, you carry the baton for a while. And so what the church did is they laid their hands on them. I don't think for ordination, verse 3, Acts 13, I think this is more a commissioning and an identification. In the Old Testament, when someone was going to confess their sins, they would lay their hands on the sacrifice, the animal, as a means of identification and transference. But in this case, I think the laying on of hands is something like this. You're called, we're going to release you, that's the language, and we are with you. 
I know that when, wherever I go, if I get a chance to preach the gospel, I preached the gospel in the park about a week and a half ago, I knew that you were with me. I know you pray for me. I know you uh, pray for my family. And I have a sense that the church is behind me even when we're not together. I think that's the idea. Our missionaries know we are with them. Amen? We support them tangibly, but we're praying for them. And that makes them all the more, I think, uh, confident in their mission. And so they laid their hands on them and they said, you know what, we bless you. In 1 Timothy 4, 13 and 14, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Until I come, give attention or devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Write these verses down. 1 Timothy 4, 13 and 14. He says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Uh, some, something like a commissioning service happened in the life of young Timothy. They said, you're supposed to be a pastor. You're called to this area. But Timothy was ready to give up. He was in Ephesus. Older men were teaching false doctrine. He seemed to have stomach problems. Some of you can relate to this. He seemed to be a little timid and nervous about confrontation. And Paul said, don't forget your calling. He would write in 2 Timothy 4, fulfill your calling. Don't put it on the shelf. Don't neglect your spiritual gift. The verse is clear. You can neglect your spiritual gift. Are you? Is that you? Have you put your gift on the shelf because something happened? You knew you were called. You knew you were in a position you know, where the Lord was using you and, and somehow that's on the shelf now. Well, what I would say to you is get it off the shelf. Romans chapter 12 gives a list of gifts that include prophecy and teaching and it uh, gives us some instruction. Let's go there, Romans 12, just the next book to your right again. It starts with these verses which are very familiar to you. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, Romans 12.1, which is your spiritual service of what? Worship. One of the ways that you worship God is to offer you. The offerer used to come in in the old times and it was a grain offering or an animal offering. But now the one who lays down on the altar is you. And every day that you wake up, the image is, God, I present myself. The word present is technical priestly language, peristemi, it's the idea of a priest bringing an offering, but now the priest is us. We're priests of the new covenant, and what we bring to God is us. That's your worship. Every single day, you say, God, here I am. I don't have much to offer. I pray like this all the time. I don't have much to offer, but what I have, I give to you. If you can use this guy, if you can take you know, my weaknesses and my strengths and whatever else, and you can use them that Christ might be revealed in me. Please, Lord, I want to live a life that glorifies you. Now, he goes down to gifts after he says that, verse 6, Romans 12, and he says, and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. We don't have to duplicate what somebody else is doing. Let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, that's one of the things we saw in Acts 13, according to the proportion of his faith. 
if service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The point of the passage is simply this. You have a gift. You have at least one as a Christian. Engage it. If you teach, then teach. If you have the gift of mercy, then show mercy. If you're a giver, then give liberally. If you have the gift of leadership, then lead. That's Paul's point. Engage your giftedness. Don't shelf it. Don't put it on hold. Don't wait for some epiphany to happen. Be faithful in the small things and God will give you bigger things. And that's what I've noticed in my Christian life of how God deals with me. Now back to Acts 13. So they're obedient. They release two leaders that would be hard to release, but they do. And the Bible makes it clear who sent them out. This is Acts 13, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, or Seleucia, a port city near the mouth of the Orontes River, about 15 miles from where they were. And from there, they sailed, they, they sailed to Cyprus, which is an island. If you picture Israel, you have Syria above it. Cyprus is an island 60 miles off the Mediterranean coast. It's the third largest island in that area next to Sicily and one other island. And in the ancient days, Cyprus was not only Barnabas' hometown, so that maybe that's why they decided to start there. Maybe they didn't have clear direction. Maybe they knew they were called to the Gentiles but didn't know where to start, so they decided to start in their hometown. Or... In the ancient world, Cyprus was known as the ancient Bahamas or Hawaii. So if you had your choice, somebody's got to do it. I've been praying about Hawaii for years. I'm still in Corona. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, I think I'm called. But <laughs> so so they, they started out on this island. It was, it, was, it was his hometown, Barnabas. So that's not a bad place to start. Sometimes you go back to your homies, if you will, and you say, I'm a Christian. They go, oh, no, 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 I know you, right? Sometimes it can be powerful because you say, no, the Lord's changed me. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. They went to Cyprus. Cyprus was known as the Hawaii, the Bahamas of the land. Great climate, wonderful uh, surroundings and everything, peaceful, but it was known in the ancient world, according to one commentator, as they called it, Happy Island. Whatever you do on Happy Island makes you happy. Somebody walked around happy. I'm on Happy Island. We're going to go on vacation. Hey, let's go to Happy Island. It's the happiest place in the world. Everybody smiles on Happy Island. And so they went around to Happy Island. Great place. I mean, if you're going to pick and God hasn't given you clarity, you go there, right? Now, the place wasn't so happy, though, because it was known for its worship of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess. And every year they had a three-day festival and it was the festival of Aphrodisia. That sounds similar or familiar to some of you because it's the idea of an aphrodisiac and it was the idea of debased sexual immorality. Why did people go to Happy Island? Well, I think we know now. I was listening to an interview uh, last week on KKLA. Young gal, I think she's about 23 years old. She grew up in a Christian home. So she said that she was in all kinds of beauty contests and she had prayed that 
if the Lord wanted her to win this beauty contest, she would win, and it turns out she won. And so that catapulted her career as a model. She ended up being a Victoria's Secret model, and she was on top of that industry, if you will, money, fame, you know, accolades, everything that you could name. But she said something started to happen to her. She was doing the video photography sessions, and the photographers were asking her to compromise her values. She was starting to feel dirty, starting to feel like she was compromising her faith. She didn't know what to do. So she ended up walking away from the money and the glitz and the glamour and that lifestyle. And she was being interviewed by the interviewer, and she said, one thing that perplexed me was, I had prayed, God, if you want me to win this beauty contest, then let me win, and I won. And I thought that was his answer to my prayer. And that win catapulted me into this life of a model. And then ended up, you know, confronting me, and, and I felt dirty and compromised and, and all this stuff. And so she said, I used to wonder why God answered that prayer the way he did. And then I realized the reason that God answered that prayer the way he did was to confront me with the idol in my life. By winning that, it catapulted me. I got there and I realized how empty, bankrupt, corrupt it was. I was there at the pinnacle of my dreams and all I could think was, I was the emptiest young lady on the planet. Wow. And she got it at that young of an age. And the interviewer was blown away. He said, you're only like 23 and you've discovered all this? And she said, yes. And I've walked away because I realized that's not what I should be doing. That's not my life. God had to bring me before my idols so I could see how it had stolen my heart away from God. Wow. And people were going to Happy Island. And they said, oh, you know, certainly we'll, we'll find what we're looking for here. Certainly when we get here, everything will be cool. And two missionaries called by the Holy Spirit. Does this show you the heart of God? Called them to tell people on that island, that's not where you find it. Happiness is fleeting, but there's a contentment that you can know. and It's found in Jesus Christ. And so when they had reached verse 5, Salamis, uh, a port city, which was a Greek city, they began to proclaim the word of God. So now they're on the island, on the east end, and they began in the synagogue of the Jews. And they also had John Mark, John, but his name is John Mark, as their helper, maybe something like an intern. So they've made their way to the island, Salamis uh, on the east end, great commercial center, and they're going to move to Paphos, the capital of the island, and they're going to go on a, somewhat of a preaching tour. To give you the idea of mileage, it'd be about the distance a covering from Corona to San Diego. That's about how far they went. And they were preaching along the way, and they would find synagogues and preach in there. That was Paul's custom, a kind of an open platform. And then they would just go into the city, open air preach or do whatever they did, meet people, and they were preaching the gospel. And when they had gone through the whole island, verse 6, as far as Paphos, which was the capital, they found a certain magician, a Jewish, Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus. So now they get to the pinnacle of the city. There's a government official that they're, they're going to share with, and he's got kind of as his court wizard this dude named Bar-Jesus. Bar in Hebrew means son of. Jesus means what? Salvation. Yeshua means salvation. Whenever you hear the name Jesus, that's what it means. Jesus means salvation. 
And so he said, I'm the son of salvation. I'm the son of Yeshua. Here's my business card. I am bar Jesus. Just come to me if you need any, you know, expert advice, because I'll give it to you. But what was he? Uh, He wasn't living according to his name. He was a Jewish false prophet, and he was a magician. Now, some of you say, does that mean he did card tricks, sleight of hand, the big word prestidigitation? No. Magic here in this context is a synonym for sorcery. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Let's talk about the magician. So, um, you know, we get into this section here where you know, they end up uh, trying to witness to on the they're uh, on the island of Paphos, and they they are trying to witness to the proconsul. Um, and there's a there's a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus, who was he was with the proconsul. And so basically, the, in a nutshell, we don't want to repeat the whole sermon here, but they try to witness the gospel to the proconsul. And the, this dude, this Bar Jesus, this phony, tries to basically um, keep the proconsul from hearing and believing the truth. Do you think this still happens today? Oh, of course. There are distractions that come along. And this is reminiscent of the of the two uh, priests that go up against Moses. Right. As he's trying to, you know, plead with Pharaoh and using the miracles or the works of God, these guys come alongside and they counterfeit these things. Right. And so, yeah, of course, there are different things that come along and distract other people from listening or even trying to receive the word of God. It could be any kind of any kind of addiction or a family issue or financial issue, anything that can come along. Or it may be even ourselves, because it might hurt for me to submit myself to a living God. I don't want to live according to his standards. I want to live according to mine. And Elimus, as he's called here, is a sorcerer. Um, when, we, when we think about sorcery, that almost sounds like a... a cartoon movie the sorcerer (laughs) or the sorcerer's apprentice (laughs) (laughs) but a sorcerer in the scriptures is one who practices divination one who tries to divine the past present or future by means of the occult that which is occluded that which is on the other side of the veil that which god said don't mess with it don't go over to that dark side whether you get legitimate information or not it's not from me I don't want you messing with those things. And it's interesting that Saul knows who the man is. He knows his character. And he pronounces blindness upon the man. And he said, you know, you'll be struck blind and you're going to be led about by the hand. And it's interesting to me, Oscar, We end of chapter 12, Herod is struck. Beginning of chapter 13, Elimus is struck uh, by the power of God. It, it was Paul's words, but it was God's power that struck Elimus. And once again, we see God protecting his church, um, dealing with someone who's trying to thwart the power of the gospel. 